Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My, my, here come the fuss. Good evening and welcome to Pick a Flick. I'm Dave Bond from Do You Expect Us to Talk? And tonight we're going to be discussing the Cornetto Trilogy. More on that and what it is in a moment. Joining me tonight, first of all, Mr Paul Hawkins from the Blockbuster podcast. Hello, Paul. Hi there, and well done for saying my name correctly. Nobody in America can do it. You get kind of a very sort of haw sound on it. Oh yeah, it's always Harkins. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Alright, fair enough. I don't think it's a capital offence. We won't take them back into the Empire just for that. No, Uh, (laughs) I've I've sort of just got used to it at this point. Before we move on to our other guests, just very briefly, what's the Blokebuster podcast, Paul? Well, the Blokebusters podcast is... Me and a friend of mine called Brian, where we do film reviews and also recently we started doing little side things of anything that we decide we want to talk about, just little half episodes as it were, and we just try and talk about the film and not get too sidetracked as we do it. Uh, And this year we're trying something new where we do one new release a month and one film that's come out on Netflix. And uh, we're just kind of going back and forth. It's been kind of fun. The most recent one we did was actually Good Burger, the Keenan and Kel. Which I've not <laughs> so. actually seen. I know uh, Special Correspondence, the new Ricky Gervais film, was just dropped on uh, on Netflix. I don't know if you've got any ideas of covering that. Oh, I, I think it's either going to be that or The Princess Bride, because both of those were released in the uh, last month. Of so. course. Okay. Also joining us, uh, first time on a podcast anywhere, uh, Mr. Andrew Dodderidge. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for pronouncing my name right. So. <laughs> You're not going to believe how many people mispronounce my last name. So. Okay, what are, the most, what are the most common mistakes on that then? Uh, Dodderidge, uh, Dodderidge, <laughs> I don't know, those are probably the okay. Andrew, um, it, you wouldn't, uh, listeners, you won't necessarily know from accents, but uh, both of our guests are from the United States, not all broadcasting from the united states tonight andrew where are you from i am from manhattan kansas okay and paul where are you living uh marion ohio okay so i'm saying good evening here but it's uh, sort of late morning over there and early afternoon okay so tonight we're going to be covering the cornetto trilogy that loosely covered that is a sort of loose title for reasons that are in the film covering the edgar wright directed and uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost starring uh, trilogy, Shaun of the Dead, 
Hot Fuzz and The World's End, uh, made in 2004, 2007 and 2013 respectively. Before we get onto the films themselves, are either of you uh, aware of the television show Spaced? Oh, yes. <laughs> Andrew, is that something that ever crossed your mind? I'm aware of it. Uh, I haven't seen it. I really want to, though, knowing that it's the same three people, right? Yeah, it's, it's all the same people. Uh, it, was t- it ran for two series in '99 ni- and 2001, I believe. It also stars the lady now known as Jessica Hine. She was Jessica Stevenson at the time. You see her as sort of head of the alternate crew in... Um, Shaun of the Dead. That's a sort of little little cameo there. Very sort of riffing on pop culture. Um, very interesting show for those of you who have not seen it. But as some of our guests haven't seen it here, let's start off and go with our first film. Let's pick a flick. Shaun of the Dead is a 2004 British horror comedy film directed by Edgar Wright, written by Wright with Simon Pegg, and starring Pegg and Nick Frost, as I discussed in our intro. Pegg plays Shaun, a man attempting to get some kind of focus in his life as he deals with his girlfriend, his mother and stepfather. At the same time, he has to cope with an apocalyptic zombie uprising, as you do. Here's a clip. Fucker. your pint? Get your pig snacks. What more do you want? Oh. Any favourite monkey? Shall I do slides? <laughs> See, I knew you'd get over it. This on some random. Oh, for fuck's sake, John. Yes, please, mate. You know what we should do tomorrow? Keep drinking. We'll have a bloody merry first thing. Have a bite of the king's head. Couple of the little princess. We'll stagger back in. Back at the bar for shots. How's that for a slice of fried gold? No. Come on, man. Talk to me. She said if she stayed with me, she'd end up coming in here every night for the rest of her life like these sad old fuckers, drinking herself to death, wondering what the hell happened. That is harsh. These are rich, interesting characters. Like who? Snake Ips. Always surrounded by women. He's a bigamist. Strangled his first wife with a draft excluder. And he invented the mobile disco. <laughs> what about her then? Cockasidal maniac. <laughs> she's an ex-porn star. She's done it all. They say she's started the world's first interracial hardcore loop. Cafe or le... What about John, then? He's North London Mafia. It's true, Big Al says so. Yeah, well, Big Al also says dogs can't look up. <laughs> Think about it. Andy with a blade. Draft Amina. Bernie, the trophy wife. He's connected. Why do you think there's a rifle above the bar? Because the pub's called the Winchester. Exactly. <laughs> See? You don't need Liz to have a good time. Oh, I don't, man. No. No, hey, look at me. Can I just say one more thing? 
say, you know. There's plenty more fish in the sea. I'm not going to say if you love her, let her go. And I'm not going to bombard you with cliches. But what I will say is this. Okay, so Shaun of the Dead. Let's let's take this in turns. Um, Paul, what what uh, what are your sort of first memories of of this film? Well, I remember when it came out, I hadn't seen Spaced, so I ended up going into it totally fresh, not really knowing who Simon Pegg was, and coming out of it, going down to HMV and buying Spaced. So it it was something that I really enjoyed, and one of the first sort of spoof slash homage films I've seen that I felt did it really well. Yes, indeed. I think you're actually hitting on something that, it, that, that pretty much the same thing happened to me. I went to it of, of an evening, so certainly no stores were, were open, but within the next day or two I had bought both series of, stay, of Spaced and um, really, really dug into it. Andrew, what are your memories of Shaun, uh, the first time you saw Shaun of the Dead? Well, first time I saw it, it was actually pretty recently, a year or two ago, because I'm pretty young and I'm just getting into film but I was just in my room watching it because I just knew about the Conrado trilogy I hadn't seen any of them and I ended up loving it the idea of everything and I instantly watched the next two it was great it was certainly completely something that was completely unexpected for me I hadn't even heard of this film and I think I was at Glastonbury or somewhere like that this year or that year and somebody said it was coming out and it had not been very long after the Snyder-directed Dawn of the Dead remake. And they said, well, that was good, but in three weeks or whatever it was, Shaun of the Dead. And I thought they were joking. I'd not even heard, I'd not even heard this film was coming. I had no idea who Simon Pegg was, Edgar Wright, Nick Frost, any of them. So I went in as blind as you could, really. And somebody said to me on the way in, oh, it's going to be like Space the TV series. And I hadn't heard of that either. Yeah, I actually looked up something. Edgar Wright found out that the remake of Dawn of the Dead was coming out, so he got a hold of the script specifically to make sure that they weren't too similar, and they ended up cutting a runner that was going to be the only running zombie in the film because there was going to be one in Dawn of the Dead, and then when Dawn of the Dead came out, there was no running zombie. What do you mean by running zombie? Because didn't, didn't like, It was did... going to be the only zombie that actually went at a speed. I thought they like, did in the Dawn of the Dead remake. No, I, I guess none of them... Book it like they just like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, all I, I do remember just as I sort of became aware of this film, the, the marketing around it uh, described as a rom zom com, yeah, romantic <laughs> zombie comedy. That's about right, yeah. So it opens with um, Sean uh, living with, with uh, Frost's Ed character basically living on his sofa, and uh, they're gentlemen that haven't really grown up, are they? No, definitely not. Manchild, I believe, is the term. <laughs> Lots of little sort of pre preemptive things within this film as we go along. You, you see Sean heading off to the shop to get Ed a Cornetto on the first day, and there's the jet, there's the kid playing football, and he he tells him you're dead. Lots of little sort of nods to what's going to come. Yeah, the, although the I think the the best uh, part in the film there is when they end up going to the pub the night before the whole thing kicks off. And Ed lays out what's going to happen in the rest of the film by saying what they want to go and do. I've, do you know, I've heard this, and no matter how many times I've seen this film, I've never particularly noticed. Uh, so what, what's the gist of what he says? He basically lays out the plot of the film. Uh, well, I, and I'm trying to get this up off my head, but it's along the lines of, uh, we'll have a Bloody Mary, 
which the first zombie they run into is a girl called Mary. They have a bite at the king's head, which is when uh, Philip turns into a zombie. A uh, couple of the little princesses, or little princess, something like that, and I think when they go to the flat to get the three of them, uh, stagger back here, which is when they're pretending to be zombies, and then back at the bar for shots, which is obviously the final shootout. The final shootout. So, so Andrew, what are the parts of the film that sort of really stick out to you? Well, apart from the thematic elements, which are probably the best part of the film, like the idea of starting over, growing up, I don't know, those are probably my favourite moments of the film. But the filmmaking is... There's a couple one-shots of... Simon Pegg going out of his house, going to go get, at the beginning of the film, uh, was it ice cream? That's or right. Cornetto. Yeah. And then, again, <laughs> after he gets dumped by his girlfriend, he goes, again, it's pretty much the same thing, goes get a, I think it was a Diet Coke or a Coke? Something like know. that, yeah. Yeah. I, but yeah, I, the film makes it great. There's a touch to that, Andrew, that I, I think he, he looks at a Coke first and gets a Diet Coke, and I do wonder if that's him trying to, like, grow up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he... Obviously, when she breaks up with him, and then he like drunkenly writes out what he's going to do and you know, make his life better. And the idea is he's making better choices by getting the diet coke instead. Yeah, doesn't realise there's big handprints of blood on the free on the fridge. Yeah, just um, a little too hungover. <laughs> Did you notice uh, also in that store both times was the groom, the groom that we later see in their house with uh, one arm? I didn't. I remember seeing him the first time, but he's the second behind time, him in yeah. the queue the first time. The second time, I don't know if you see him in there the second time, but you see them in their house. He's actually a, he is a he is a, an actor with a, with a missing arm who actually wore a prosthetic for that that first scene. That that's one of my favorite just little lines. Is he's got an arm off? He's got an arm off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that was always in the trailer from around that, uh, in every trailer, I think, from around that time of the film was them chucking the record collection. What did we make of that scene? That, that was ca- kind of fun. It's, I think it's the only time anyone's ever thrown records at zombies in film. I, they're not a very effective weapon, really. <laughs> it's because the first one shatters and puts a little bit in his face, and they think, oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, quite funny with recent happenings when they go through Prince's back catalogue. And he wants to keep them all until they get to the Batman soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and they, um, like, loads of little bits in the film are like, actually part of them as well. Because when he said that was the second album I ever bought, that was the second album he ever bought. I, I, do, I do enjoy all of the little pieces like that that they put in. All, and, of, all uh, of these films do seem very... Um, exhaustively rewritten as they go along to add more of this detail particularly when you listen to a commentary to these films, all of these things are thought about, they don't just sort of throw out a script, they seem to work on them quite extensively and even their reference from other films did anyone notice references to other zombie films and other horror films in fact? I I I would say I noticed a fair few I can't think off the top of my head right now (laughs) what all of them are but uh, uh, a lot of times they'll have the name of a character would be a reference to something or there was a restaurant I think that uh, he's looking at and that's a reference to a horror director oh okay uh, I didn't know so the only one that I I noticed was We're Coming to Get You Barbara which is from Night of the Living Dead oh and that reminds me as well the the idea of when he says he's talking to Peter Finowich's character in the shower when he's a zombie and then he ends up just 
reading out the join us line that that again is a direct reference as well uh, actually that is the only other reference the closing the door the mirror to see someone behind you that's that's an american werewolf in london that is one of edgar wright's favorite movies too i know that i said it, i watched a video where he said uh it's, it was probably the main inspiration for him to become a director so really i didn't know that yeah it's pretty interesting yeah. i haven't seen it but uh, an American Werewolf in London is recommend. I recommend that to all listeners. It, it's again, it, it's it's a straight up horror film, but it has a strong sort of satirical comedic bent within it. It's not a comedy in the same way that this is, but it's also quite a funny film. Yeah, it's really good. Although I would, I would say you probably don't need to see the sequel or the the loose sequel. I guess it is the American Werewolf in Paris. Don't bother with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, PlayStation Two kind of level. Um, CG. Uh, it's incredible because one of the still one of the best um, transformation sequences in any film is is the turn to uh, when he becomes a werewolf for the first time in American Werewolf in London. Uh, American Werewolf in Paris is a Judy Delpy film that's rather of a, rather a letdown, to say the least. So, do, I mean to ask, we're calling this the Cornetto trilogy. Do you have Cornettos over there? Andrew? I don't. I no idea actually. Do you know they, Paul? They they don't technically exist as Cornettos. There's something very similar to them, though. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but there's not as many flavours. They look identical, but you basically can only have chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Well, that that would have been that would have meant there would have we would have missed the world's end. There would have been there would have only yeah, been pretty much. And it also wouldn't have worked with the theme of the film. Just like, not just really. No. E- eating a chocolate. Ice cream during a zombie apocalypse doesn't quite have the same impact. No. No, I guess not. Andrew, I know you don't remember this film from first release, but are you aware of whether the film had any sort of profile over there? And its sequels, for that matter. I'm not entirely sure. I, uh, is it really popular in England? I, I mean, it's popular here. I'm, it's like, like British film, as a British film, like it's doing well in the United States, for sure. That's all I know. I mean, I, I I tried looking up a little bit about this, and apparently, originally it was going to be straight to DVD, but there was such a huge following in America saying that they wanted to see it in cinemas that it ended up getting a theatrical release and doing not too badly. I'm looking at it here. Opening weekend in the United States, it earned 3.3 million. But it was a very, very limited release. Um, yeah. It's taken 30 million worldwide overall. Which, when you think that's, you know, top end Kevin Smith grosses, that's actually not bad at all. Yeah, I mean, okay. the, the film was made for what, 4 million, I think? Uh, $6.1 million. Yeah, so it's it's a fairly low budget film that uh, has continued to sort of resonate, particularly with the fact that it, it's had sequels, which we'll come to in just a moment. That was our first pick flick tonight. Okay, um, moving on, 2007, saw the first, I w- I'm always tempted to say sequel because this is described as a, as a trilogy, um, but it's not, it's a completely different story, but it's the same team. Hot Fuzz is a 2007 British satirical action comedy film directed by Edgar Wright, and again written by Wright with Simon Pegg, and starring Pegg with Nick Frost. 
the three and the film's producer, Neera Park, had previously worked together on the television series Spaced, which we've mentioned already, and the film we've just discussed, Shaun of the Dead. The film follows two police officers attempting to solve a series of mysterious deaths in Sanford, a fictional small English village. Over 100 action films were used as inspiration for developing the script. Filming took place over 11 weeks in early 2006 and featured an extensive cast along with various uncredited cameos. Here's a clip. 27. Have you ever seen Point Break? No. Amazing bit in Point Break where they jump over fences. Is that no? 29. That is Swayze's just robbed this bank. Keanu Reeves is chasing him through people's gardens. And he goes to shoot Swayze, but he can't because he loves him so much. And he's firing his gun up in the air. He's like, oh. Have you ever fired your gun up in the air and gone, ah? No, I have not ever fired my gun up in the air and gone, ah. 30. Sorry, I'm, I just I just feel like I'm missing out sometimes. I want to do what you do. You do do what I do. What on earth do you think you're missing out on? Gunfights, car chases, proper action and shit. Police work is not about proper action. Or shit. 29. If you'd have paid attention to me in school, you'd understand that it's not all about gunfights and car chases. Fire up the roof. <laughs> So, Hot Fuzz, um, at once a very different beast and a very similar beast, Andrew. Yeah, that, it's pretty similar in the thematic elements, and it's quite genius if you really think about it, the twists and everything in this film. Do you mean the writing more than anything else, the way the plot yeah, comes together? the writing, and then the spoof, obviously, of action films, for sure. Yeah, I, I, this is really, to action films, what Shaun of the Dead was to the horror genre, I would suggest. Paul, what are your memories of uh, Hot Fuzz on release and, and your reactions to it? Well, I remember originally liking it, but not as much as Shaun of the Dead. But like growing older and re-watching it, I think that it's a better film than Shaun of the Dead. And also, out of the three, the most heavily laden with callbacks and references, I think. So the most, you would say, possibly extensively written Probably, yeah. I, I think this is the one... I know that the third one were, came fairly easy to them. I think this is the one they probably worked the hardest on. I think I'd probably go along with this. I found the film, personally, less accessible on first watching than Shaun of the Dead. And I think that may well be, and we'll come on to this with the next film as well, and I, I think some of that would be the lead character played by Peg in this film, Nicholas Angel, being a, a more distant character than Sean. What do you guys think of that? That's a pretty true fact. I, a lot of people can relate to Sean, but yeah, but if the, the right audience can find uh, some stuff to for uh, the Nick Angel character in Hot Fuzz, I think so. I mean, I I am not an adult, I should say, so I don't have a job and I'm not crazy in love with my job because I don't have one, but I feel like I feel like uh, Nick Angel is really similar to uh, David Duchovny in the X-Files. Do you know what I'm talking about, the X-Files? I don't personally, because I'm not an X-Files viewer, but I know that um, our, our, our editor and uh, the owner of this podcast, uh, Tony, it, uh, runs the X-Cast, so he's going to know exactly what you mean. <laughs> For those of us who aren't X-Files fans, can you um, elaborate on that, please? Well, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson are part of an X-Files team where they... They, they're like part of the side of the police where they try to find like 
uh, weird, different uh, things going on instead of like normal crimes. Kind of like alien. There, he's obsessed with aliens, David Duchovny, and uh, he's basically just that's his job is his life. He doesn't care about anything else. And I haven't watched the entire series, just a couple seasons, but yeah, that's pretty much the basis of it. So I found a lot of similar elements from him to Nick Angel and Hot Fuzz. So in your case, Paul, did you did you find the same sort of difficulty um, as I did, sort of relating to the Nicholas Angel character, or, or like with Andrew's? reaction perhaps you saw parallels with with characters you you knew other characters you may have known i actually didn't have too much of a problem identifying with him in the film maybe because i'm a very logical person so i'll i'll look around and see people acting in a way that i don't understand and like what you know why don't you just do this like do it by the book (laughs) it's it's exactly how you're supposed to do it and then i fully embrace the idea he's gone to this town where everyone is basically either an idiot or has their own way of doing things and he's he's just trying to get by and i i fully understand that i think (laughs) looking at simon Pegg, obviously he's his character we'll refer to him as nicholas from now on nicholas um is very like we said, uh, committed to his job. And the first thing is he's had a relationship fall apart. Uh, that's a cameo from... Did you notice who was who was playing his ex-girlfriend? Yeah. You sort of get it from the eyes and the voice, really, but a lot of people didn't recognise that, so well spotted. There is another uh, cameo in this film that uh, you may or may not have noticed, <laughs> a very famous director who visited the set. Yep, that would be Peter Jackson playing the Santa that stabs him in the hand. That's right. That hand injury is uh, is sort of you see him sort of flexing that hand all the way through the film. Yeah, absolutely. He, so he's sent down to uh, Sanford in well, we assume Gloucestershire because it's based on the, the the town of Wells, which is down around that way. And uh, this is actually Edgar Wright's hometown. He worked in that summer field. But uh, if the first film was was summoning up sort of various zombie films from our history, this film kind of summoned up to me the likes of The Wicker Man and Straw Dogs. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, definitely uh, the underlying, obviously the the very top level is just paying homage to action film, but yeah, it's got that sinister streak to it that was a lot of fun actually <laughs> to be fair i'd never seen many of the action films that under underpin this I've, I've never seen i've seen the first bad boys i haven't seen point break so i think an awful lot of the the references did pass me by whereas they hadn't in in Shaun of the dead yeah I, i'm i'm not an action film fan too much myself so a number of them i didn't fully understand but i did get that they were references I would suggest of the three films, I don't know what you guys think, I would suggest this probably has the strongest cast. Uh, World's End might, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I would argue World's End, uh, but that's not to say that this isn't a very well-acted film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, just, just running through some of the names in this, for those of you who haven't seen it, obviously we've got Peg and Frost, we've got Jim Broadbent, uh, who was an Academy Award winner, Paddy Considine, Rafe Spall, who was also in the other two. Uh, Kevin Eldon, Olivia Coleman, uh, Bill Bailey, Timothy Dalton, first of first of the trilogy to have a, a former Bond in it. More of that. Edward Woodward, who was the star of the aforementioned The Wicker Man, 
Billy Whitelaw, British active royalty. I, I tend to think of the Cray, uh, the Craze film when I first uh, think of her. Paul Freeman, who was Belloc in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Rory McCann, who from Game of Thrones. It really is quite the cast, and uh, this might be a reflection of, of how successful the Shaun of the Dead was, how much it resonated with people that they could make a bigger ask this time. Yeah, and I, I thought the the best example of like almost like, hey, look at who we've got in the film, is when Nicholas is being transferred, and first it's Martin Freeman, just, how's the hand? Then it's Steve Coogan, how's the hand? And then it's Bill Nye again, just walking in. Just It, it was a fantastic... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Like, here's three, you know, of, in England, quite famous actors, and like, there's a lot more coming. And they're in virtually throwaway roles. You see them briefly at the end, but that's it. Yeah, but, but I, I enjoyed that. There's so many films that they might get a cameo, but they'll overuse it. And I thought that those three, just being at the beginning and at the end, were quite well done. Are you guys aware that the uh, music supervisor's name is Nick Angel? No, I wasn't, and I don't know if there's any link to. I don't know if that's where they've got the name from. It must be, I yeah, suppose. They, yeah, they they were very. He's very good friend with Simon and Edgar, and so they, uh, when he signed on to use the film, they asked him if they could use his name. The other thing that um, I, I noted watching the special features around this film, and I think we've we've talked. I think you you alluded to this, Paul, in how written the film is that they really did go out of their way to work out how a modern police service, as they insist on calling it, operates. And they really worked very, very hard on detail. <laughs> yes, it, when this came out, I remember reading that police across the country were ecstatic that it showed off just how much paperwork there is when it comes to being a policeman, because no other film ever handles that. They they go out, they destroy half the city just to catch the one bad guy, and uh, you know they're back on the beat the next day. They, yeah. That's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I read that too. Andrew, how does, how does uh, British policing look to an American eyes as <laughs> shown through this film? Uh, you're talking about everybody except Nick Angel? I, then... I'm talking about the whole, the whole way it's pre- presented, because obviously our, our police force service is somewhat different from yours, I would have thought. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different. Uh, I don't know the specifics or anything, but I, I, I just knew since it was set place in England that it was just going to be different. I don't know. I think the best thing about it is that this film has more guns in it than any 
if you ever go to any English town, there's no way they have even a quarter of the amount of guns you see. Like, <laughs> I was wondering when I was watching it where they got them all. Because, obviously, in America, ev- the idea is everyone has guns. and every action film you see, everyone's got at least one gun on them with an unlimited clip that they just keep firing. And so <laughs> I think they it, all got them from the farm, didn't they? They, they did, yes. They, they, they actually... <laughs> For for whatever reason, this guy just had uh, like five hundred guns in a shed. So <laughs> genius yeah, move to take this out of London. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, I I, I think so because doing it in London, it would have it would have been a little too weird. I think like you, you couldn't have a shootout in London. I, d- I don't think it would have worked. You couldn't have well a shootout as... stand out, stand out in the same way, could you? No. Yeah, like the setting at the end of the movie, the shootout and everything, it's it's pretty much perfect. It's just so memorable, the se- uh, the setting in all of these films, really. You just remember specific uh, areas of what st- uh, stuff's taking place, and that's a perfect example right there. Having talked about such a strong cast for this film, uh, which cast members sort of stuck out to you guys beyond our main, our main protagonists, our leads? Oh, wow. Um, besides the leads... The Andes, I guess. The Andes, the two Andes. Uh, the the CID cops. Yeah, the, they pretty much made me laugh every time they were talking. It. I don't remember specific lines or anything, but yeah, they're pretty funny. Paul, what about you? Well, I, I'm a, a huge Bill Bailey fan, so seeing Bill Bailey as uh, the two sergeants was was kind of funny, and yeah, I I did love. The uh, the two Andes, just because I love the way that they just had the back and forth. Um, it it was just a, a brilliant thing that, and again talking about uh, callbacks and stuff, the, the way that they just throw in like, "What you want us to go through the whole town? Just start a Aaron A. Allison or something." And <laughs> at the end, it is a kid called Aaron A. Yes, Aaron. I only have a picture. I was about to say that. Yeah, it, I'm amazed how much I managed to miss in this film. Um, I, I, watching it again now, I can't believe I didn't pick up Bill Bailey playing two characters before it was revealed, <laughs> because it just seems so obvious once you know. Um, yeah, and I, I, I didn't pick up that line at all <laughs> with the kid's name. There's just so much that they shoved in there, and but my, I think my favourite scene is the one. After Leslie Tiller dies, and it it the whole thing with the swear box, which uh, just uh, if you, like you don't mind, I, I'd like to do it verbatim. Carry on. <laughs> it's, um, it just zooms in. He slams a pound or whatever into the box. Like Leslie Tiller was fucking murdered. And it's like what? Anders was Yes, Anders. Yeah, Anders one. No, what? Of course he fucking was. And then Danny shoves the pound. He's like, thank you, Danny. <laughs> And then uh, like the Andy was like, you know, murder, 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 change the fucking record, and the other Andy shoves a pound in as well. What I love about that, uh, what I love about the swear box particularly is every word is a crossed out or asterisk except the C word, which really, <laughs> um, and in terms of... Do they actually use that word? Because I, I don't recall it off the top. I'm sure it's in there, but I, I can't. Uh, yeah, uh, Danny uses it in the pub. Where he's ah. talking about Nicholas Angel's talking about, I think it's his childhood, and he's talking and he says, "Sounds yes. like a great bloke," and then he says that he was a criminal or something, and then he says, "What a," well, I'll yeah. say it both ways. Then he says, "What a cunt," 
And then he says the C word. What a C word about the guy. Yeah, now I remember that. And yeah, very well used. I'm surprised that uh, they actually didn't have someone, like maybe one of the other police officers, walk in there and like make him pay the money into it later. One of the um, one of the things I just want to say as a little aside to people listening is um, if you ever get hold of the Blu-rays, the DVDs for this film, go and have a look at the little feature that they make um, on language because they are <laughs> they are required to provide a cut of the film that people can use on airlines and so on. So you've got to remove most of the bad language. And they kind of leave it in and replace it with words like Wonka and Prink. So, so that's a great, rather than Jesus Christ, you've got cheese and rice. Um, <laughs> Does that work? Does that work and make it good? I, I don't know. It, it, like, they do it well. <laughs> it, it, it works in that you can't, if you didn't know any different, they could be saying that. It's not badly sort of... Um, uh, d- but at the same time, Although, I think it is thumbing their nose at this requirement full stop. Oh, definitely. The Funky Pete and Shaun of the Dead was fantastic. It's two o'clock in the funking morning. <laughs> it's like, it's Saturday. No, it's not. It's funking Sunday. And I've got to go to funking work. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Hot Fuzz, everyone. Uh, 12 million budget. So we've got a, a huge sort of rise off last week. Uh, a box office more than doubled at 80 million worldwide. So that was our second pick flick tonight. Okay, so there was a very long sort of gap to the next film, uh, 2007, right the way through to 2013. In the interim, uh, Edgar Wright had gone off and, and um, directed Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. He was already being linked to Ant-Man. Simon Pegg had appeared in the Star Trek reboot and the Mission Impossible films. So really, I, I suspect there was a lot of doubt as to whether a third film to create to complete this trilogy was ever going to happen. But indeed there was. So let's pick our third flick. The World's End is a 2013 British comic science fiction film, again directed by Edgar Wright, again written by Wright and Simon Pegg, and starring, as usual, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, returning this time Paddy Considine, Martin Freeman, and also starring Rosamund Pike and Eddie Marsan. The film follows a group of friends who discover an alien invasion during an epic pub crawl in their hometown. Wright has described the film as social science fiction in the tradition of John Wyndham and Samuel Ude. It is the third and final film in the Three Cup Flavors Cornetto trilogy, following the ones we've talked about. Here's a clip. I don't remember him being that friendly. He's obviously one of them. How can he be? He remembered me. We don't know what they remember. Well, maybe they have selective memories. Yeah, like, what's his name? Me. Maybe it's one of the others, like the Reverend. It's very hard to tell, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, is he one of them, or is he one of them? Wait, wait, which ones are the thems again? Well, they're both thems, aren't they? But there's two ways of saying it. Is he one of them, or is he one of them? We need different terms. One for people that aren't robots, and one for robots that aren't robots. All right. We need to be able to differentiate between them, them, Close. Yeah, I think the pronouns are really confusing. Yeah. Yes, I don't even know what a pronoun is. Well, it's a word that can function by itself as a noun, which refers to something else in the discourse. I don't get it. You just used one. Did I? Yeah, it is a pronoun. What is? It. Is it? Christ, no! We just need a fucking word so we can identify who's who. He's a blank. She's a blank. Those two people are definitely blanks. 
Hi, Sam. Oh, crumbs. How's your night going? Good. Sort of. What do you mean, sort of? Well, it's weird, isn't it? You come back and everything's the same, but... sort of different. Different how? Just weird. How weird? You're getting it, Gary. Gary! It's all right, I'm not trying to have sex with you. Why are we in the disabled toilets, then? There's something I need to tell you right now. Unless you do want to have sex, in which case I'll tell you afterwards. Tell me right now. Have you noticed anything creepy about the twins, apart from the fact that they're twins? Just because they're twins doesn't automatically make them creepy. It does a little bit. You had sex with them. A, I did not. And B, how did you know about that? A, it's a small town. B, I'm not stupid. And C, they told me. Right, well, I did once, but I was wasted. Which was creepy, because it was like there was four of them. I'm not proud of it. I am a bit. Is this what you wanted to tell me? No, this is. Okay, Sam. I need a cigarette. Now, of all the three films, this is the film that was probably most aimed at my generation. I was sort of in my mid-teens, around 1990, when the sort of story begins, if you like, them as teenagers doing the, the original pub crawl. So this film should have spoken to me, possibly a bit more. Guys, tell me about the first time you saw The Worst World End. Paul? Well, this was at the point when I was living in America... So I was very glad to know that it was coming out in theatres. And I actually reviewed this on my podcast as well. And it, it when it came out, I knew roughly what it was going to be about. And like having seen the other two films, I could pick up on things that they were saying at the beginning that might be coming back later. But even so, I thought it was really well done and... I think at this point it's actually my favourite of the three. Why so? In, in a nutshell, we'll talk through the film in a moment, but, but sort of in headline form, what, what about this stands out for you? Well, I think that the you know, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are at, at the top of their game in this, and just everything in it, all of the, the writing is like spot on, the pacing is, I would say, better than the other two films. And I love... I'm a big sci-fi fan, so I love that element of it as well. Andrew, tell me about your experiences with The World's End. I might actually have to agree with Paul here that this part of me likes this the most out of the three. It's it's incredibly underrated. Uh, I think it's due mainly to... I was grasped more by the, by the film and I could re- see myself becoming this person... Mainly because I just got out of high school. I've, I was actually, yeah, I just got out of high school when I first watched it. Oh, this film would have really spoken to you. Yes, it did. But, yeah, so it's just a fear of, like, becoming that person. And I, I was just grasped from beginning to end. And, uh, yeah, just the idea of self-destruction and everything, tracing back her past. Simon Pegg, best performance in the entire trilogy, too. Yeah, I'll come back to what I think in a moment, but um, it's a very good point, actually, to talk about the Twitter poll that Tony put out on the Pick a Flick feed. Um, He asked, uh, he put a poll out saying, what's the best Cornetto trilogy film? Any guesses on where this might have gone before I read it out? I personally think that what probably happened, just through nostalgia, is... It went Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End. That is my prediction as well. <laughs> it's not a bad prediction. It's not quite right, but it's nearly right. Shaun of the Dead took 46% of the vote. 
Hot Fuzz also took 46% of the vote, wow. with the World's End taking 8%. That's rough. It is. Dang. And also, when I look at, before we go into the film in a bit more detail, it's got by far the largest budget. We're up to 20 million for this, and it took 46, a $34 million drop from the previous film. So something about this film didn't really connect. Uh, from my own perspective, I think on first viewing, it probably was my favourite. But on rewatch, I struggle with the Gary character. I think, I think the characters are sort of getting, are starting to become less identifiable. Yes, we might end up as this guy, but do we want him as the lead in our film? But that doesn't seem to have been a problem for, for either of you. Something about Gary resonated with you both, would you say? Not so much me. I, was, I think I would see myself more as the Nick Frost character. But I have had a couple of friends who are very much the Gary King character. So I, uh, I had no problem with him at all because I'm friends with a couple of Gary Kings. So. <laughs> it was, I mean, he had the same car he'd had at 16. He'd had the same clothing he was wearing at 16. And he had the same tape, cassette tape, in the car that he'd been playing at 16. This guy had not moved on at all. And had actually, well, I suppose this is where I was sort of going to go with this. Of the three films, I think the first and the third both have slightly jarring shifts of tone. And it's more noted in this. I think in Shaun of the Dead, it's the part where he has to shoot his own mother. And we're laughing along with this film and we've just had a really funny bit to sort of Queen music. And suddenly he's got to shoot his own mum and I wondered what on earth I was watching. And in this film, where we find out Gary is a severe alcoholic. And it's a fantastic bit, and it actually happens at pretty much the same point in the film as uh, having to shoot the mum as well. It's uh, definite third act reveals where you end up having to deal with this. And I think it really worked, because you've had all of this fantastic fight sequences, including one of my favourite fight sequences of all time, and so many great lines. Are we talking stuff. about in the gents' toilet? No, but that that is really good. It's the one where I can't remember which pub it's in, but it's the one where every single time you see Gary King, he is trying to sip that beer, and he keeps that he keeps that beer glass exactly level while he's fighting, so he doesn't spill any of it. Uh, it's so well choreographed. I loved it. It certainly. As somebody, one thing, I mean, there were a couple of things about the film that did resonate with me, and I'd be interested to see how it resonates with somebody who born and raised in a different country. But certainly the pub crawl, I think we've all done them at some point, and that you do hit a crossover point where you're a bit drunk, but you're trying to appear normal. And that's the part where sort of, um, and that's the part where Nick Frost's character, Andy Knightley, puts his hand through the window as he's talking. It's just, uh, I haven't done that per se, but I've done the I'm fine, honestly, and then fallen over or something. And I think, yeah, the the, the other thing is the, the mythical importance the pub crawl, crawl gets on. I mean, I don't know what would have happened six pints into a pub crawl when I did, say, the Smith Down 10 in Liverpool years ago if I dropped my pint. I mean, I would have had an existential crisis. Do I order another one? Do we move on? Do we come back? So all of, all of these things are kind of covered. And I guess the last thing I'd say, and I'd be very interested to see what you guys think about this, is the cast the, the cast of characters, I thought, actually represented where a stereotypical school group might 
go and the different directions they might find themselves? Uh, yeah. Well, for me, I'm not exactly... I don't drink alcohol. I mainly relate to the character of Gary King and these people by imagining myself not getting past high school and thinking that's the best part of my life, I guess. Just the fear of that instead of drinking in high school and going back and doing it in a pub crawl. But, yeah, that's that's really for me. That's what, that's what grasped me to the film. I certainly found as well, and again, it's a function of the plot, but we've got... They, don't, they suddenly don't feel at home in their own hometown because, obviously, there's been an alien invasion. But I know what that's like after you live away for a few years and you come back, and it's at once familiar and deeply unfamiliar... Obviously, you live away from home at the moment, Paul. I don't know if you've been through this. You've been live away from your original home. Well, and I'm fairly lucky in that I feel like I can live anywhere. But there are definitely times where you realise that this one thing that you just can't get that you really, really want. <laughs> so yeah, it's just that you'll spend a day or two just like. Ah, oh, yeah, I really wish I could do that. So the film ultimately ends with. Effectively, the apocalypse, did this take us by surprise? Did we expect that to happen, given the name of the film? What did we think of where this film ended up? I was up for anything at this point. Like I, I did, obviously, watching the film, I didn't think that this only happened in this one town. Like uh, We see it through this town, but I, I figured that aliens wouldn't turn up and replace a single town. <laughs> there must have been more than that. Yeah. Replace him with the smashy smashy Eggmen, but I I wasn't a hundred percent sure how it would end, and I liked that because I normally go into these films and about half halfway through I know how it's going to end because I've seen too many films and my brain will not stop going while I'm watching them. And this film, I had no clue. I didn't know which way they were going to go, so it was uh, it was fun finding out. A reason I think that it's only got 8% of that vote that was on the Twitter poll is because of the twist, basically. When Simon Pegg kicks the kid's head and blue stuff comes out, and there's aliens. I feel like a lot of people were just like, at that moment, they checked out of the film, and they just like, I thought this was going to be a realistic movie about uh, people going back to their past, and, and then it just takes a turn there, and I feel like it alienated people from the film and what alienated pun intended obviously but uh but i actually like it like for what paul said it's different it it, there's no set story that you know what's going to happen first second and third act and it's an oddly convoluted thematic element with these aliens and everything but it, it, it definitely works for me like paul said too okay so that was the end of the world's end and uh, the three parts of the Cornetto trilogy and uh, the films with uh, this creative team available to date. So that was our last picked flick. So, Andrew, if there were to be a fourth, where where would you like to see them go? Well... I'm not as smart as Edgar Wright. I'm not very good with speculation. But the first thing that came through my mind was something space opera, some sort of Star Wars thing. But then I was like, 
ah, that wouldn't work, would it? And then I just came back to the idea of these films are all about growing up, starting over, also male bonding. And I came to the idea of possibly college students learning to grow up in college, living a different life. But then I'm not sure how funny that could be because obviously these are film, these films are comedies. So th- those are my ideas. So, Paul, where would you like to see a full film go? Well, I was trying to think about it, and uh, something in space was right up there. Especially, I was thinking Simon Pegg and Nick Frost could be second generation on a newly colonized planet, and they're having to raise their kids who have no idea what Earth was like. And so, like them having to struggle with the two different cultures, I thought that that would be good. And the only other thing I could think of was I'd love to see them try and do something animated. Like, and I have no idea what, but I think it's the one area they haven't really gone into. So I'd like to see that. But yeah, I, I think uh, space is the only place they can really go from here. Unless there's, I would love to see film noir just because I'm a, a noir fan, but I don't quite see how they do it unless they did just do straight up parody, which <laughs> isn't their style. So. You'd hope so. I mean, certainly you've hit uh-huh. on the aspect that these films do tend to experience the unfamiliar th- through the eyes of the characters. A zombie apocalypse, a, a rural police force, which he's not used to, obviously. Going back to a, a hometown that's the same but different. It's a, it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I was struggling for, for anywhere new to go with these. I think that we, we've kind of, we've kind of, we've started off with a sort of, you know, feared apocalypse that got averted and we finished off with the end of the world. I mean, certainly of the three that exist, I could only see a sequel to Hot Fuzz of the three of them. I, I, I don't know if there's more to be done in that world, but it would be slightly odd to have a sequel to the second of a three. So, yeah, interesting. I mean, I know that there's talk that they would love to, like to work together down the line in some way, but it, but it wouldn't necessarily be in this vein. Be interested to see what happens. And that was Pick a Flick tonight. So, guys, uh, <laughs> tell us where we can find you on social media. Andrew? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at adod16. That's A-D-O-D-D-16. And I also write... Reviews sparsely on letterbox.com. You can find me by my name, Andrew Dotteridge, there. And Paul, pimp your show and tell us where we can find you on social media. All right, well, my show, The Blokebusters Podcast, is available anywhere you can find podcasts, uh, including Google Play Music now at this point. And it, Twitter at Blokebusters, Facebook.com. Blokebusters. We have a website, blokebusters.webs.com. It's fairly bare bones, but it it's what we can do. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at his and hurricane, which is his and and an H E R R I C A N E. And it originally started out as a joint Twitter account for me and my wife. My wife hates Twitter, so now it's mine. And yeah, and I'm on. Facebook as well. Just search me if if anyone really wants to. I don't know why you would, but there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, you can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six. Uh, my podcast, you expect us to talk, which is a film retrospective show, currently 
based around the James Bond franchise, but it will move on. You can find that at Expect Us to Talk or facebook.com forward slash Expect Us to Talk. And I've been Dave Bond. That was Pick a Flick for tonight. You pick a flick, we talk about it. Simple as that. Good night. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.